Good morning. So did anybody catch that disappointing game last night? No, the Mavs are really struggling uh, <clears throat> on the road. But how about them Cowboys? Hallelujah. <clears throat> this is Texas, in case you're new here. We're <clears throat> Immersed Bible reading. How many of you read your Bible this week? Let me see your hand. Yes, yes, yes. Well, this is week number number two. So stay with us. If you got behind, it's not all that hard to get caught up. If you lose a day, get caught up. Uh, the, the readings per day are not all that long. I think we have about 40 Bibles left to, if, if you didn't, for whatever reason, just now finding out about it, there's about 40 left that they'll be selling at the end of the service today. So please join us. We're going to be finished with the whole of the New Testament uh, by Holy Week, which is going to be exciting just to see what the Lord is, is doing. So thank you for going with us. By the way, Pastor Michael is leaving tomorrow for Vietnam with uh, Dave Reaver and Pastor Dan Dang from the Vietnamese Church. It's our sister church just south of us here and a few other pastors and leaders from around the nation. Linnell, you going to be okay? Because he's going to be gone almost two weeks. So I hope if anything goes wrong, just let us know. We're here for you, okay? They're going to be speaking at churches, leadership meetings, uh, visiting schools, and overseeing the graduation of their discipleship program, REAP International. So keep Pastor Michael in prayer. Uh, this week. I'm sure we'll be, we'll be anointing him and praying for him tonight in the prayer service. Um, by the way, he's taken off. He's speaking in the Swahili service this morning. We're going to try to work him hard before he leaves. So, um, I just received a notification uh, literally as the service started that our dear sister Jerry Atkinson just passed away at 1022. And so uh, I've been with the family this week. Um, and it's been a, she's had a rough, she's had a rough year, but I didn't know it was coming to that, but she, she has just slipped away, and I'm sure there'll be an announcement about, watch our website for anything about a memorial service or what may be planned. I, I, I don't know anything about that yet, but so keep that in mind and, and pray for the family of dear sister Jerry. At the end of the service today, we'll be praying for business people as we do every year on the first Sunday of the year. Pray for teachers at the beginning of the school year. We pray for business people at the beginning of uh, this calendar year. We're just simply asking the Lord to make this a year of his favor and uh, blessing on your business and that he will prosper you in all of your ways as you commit the work of your hands unto him. So we'll be doing that. Don't take off too early. We'll be doing that right at the end of the service. I, uh, I'm thankful for the music ministry today, I always am, but particularly today it's, it's quite often um, astonishing to me um, how I, I don't know the selections of music typically. I could find out if I wanted to know, I'm sure, but I don't typically know all the selections of music that are going to take place in the service, but um, the, um, for the choir to sing, I'll trust you, it goes right along with what I want to speak to us today. This is our first Sunday of 2019, and I always... Ask the Lord, Lord, what's, how do we start the year off? What, and you know this has been our week of consecration. Obviously, we're doing our Bible reading. Many of you have been fasting uh, this week. But how many of you would join me in saying that for 2019, you are asking the Lord or you want the Lord to increase your faith? Raise your hand if that's true for you. Increase your faith. I'm sure we all 
have our own reasons why we want to have our faith increased. Lots of folks make New Year's resolutions at the start of the new year, but uh, if you're like me, you're simply saying, Lord, I just I want you to increase my faith for, you know, for this year. With our theme for this year uh, being supernatural surprise, just a little phrase the Lord dropped in my heart a few weeks or months ago, I think this calls, the, this theme calls on us to believe God and to trust God, to place our trust in Him at a level greater than we ever have before. I know I'm not the only one who shares Proverbs 3.5 as a favorite verse. I saw somebody sent a card or somewhere this week that somebody else saying they're talking about their favorite verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. Isn't that hard to do? It is. But in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will, he will do that. Well, I don't know that we could find a finer example of really exceptional faith in Scripture, and that's what I want to do today. I want to challenge your faith, even as my faith is being challenged. I want us all to walk out of here with a renewed determination that we're asking the Lord, Lord, increase my faith. Status quo is not good enough. Going into this new year, we need new mercies, we need new grace, and we're counting on you. Well, there's no finer example of exceptional faith or any greater inspiration than from the one to whom I draw your attention this morning. And I want to take just a few minutes to talk and for, about and for us to take a really good look at Abraham. And allow me to present him to you as our model of faith to inspire and encourage us as we go into this new year. And we're not the only ones who are looking to Abraham as our model of faith. When Paul writes to the New Covenant Church in Rome, he tells them, he says, look to the faith of Abraham. And that's who I present to you this morning as an example of faith. Romans 4, verses 16 and 17 says, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the Scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Abraham believed it. Verse 20 and 21 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God and his faith growing stronger. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Anybody else convinced of that today? I want you to say after me, God is able. Ah, that sounds healthy and strong. That same uh, passage from, uh, from Romans 4 in the New King James, I, I, I love the various verbiage that can be used. It, it, New King James says it this way, Abraham had the kind of faith that believed in the God who gives life to what is dead and calls into existence that which does not yet exist. We're being challenged today, Bethesda, to increase our faith. Being fully persuaded that what God has promised, He is also able to perform. Say with me, God is able. And do you believe it today? Well, 
Church, this is our model of faith. This is what God intends for our faith in Him. This is what God has in mind for your faith and for mine. And it's an expanded faith beyond what we've had before. It's more than simply salvation faith, as wonderful as as that is. It's more than just knowledge faith, having it in your mind. It's more than just being in church faith. But every believer, that includes you and me, is capable of walking in that dimension of calling to life that which was dead and calling into existence that which does not yet exist, fully convinced that God can do it. We have the ability to walk in that. No wonder the disciples cried out, Oh, Jesus, increase our faith. Say with me this morning, Oh, Lord, increase my faith. Say it. Because we know for sure that without faith, it is impossible even to please God, according to Hebrews. You can have, you can know all kinds of Scripture, And I know folks that know lots of Scripture and have very little faith. You can have all kinds of knowledge about the Word, about church, about church history, about theology, about apologetics. You can have all kinds of knowledge. You can have your doctrine all in place. You can have great church attendance. You can have a spectacular record of service in the church. You can have a great past testimony. But I present this challenge to you today, but unless today, Bethesda, this very moment as you sit in this sanctuary, faith is in your heart. And I'm talking about vibrant, confident, bold, audacious trust in God. If unless faith is in your heart like that today, it is impossible to please Him. In fact, Scripture teaches us that without faith, we're prisoners. You look at Galatians 3.23 is my reference on that. We're prisoners without faith. Prisoners of what? Well, we're prisoners of legalism without faith. If we don't have faith, we're, we're prisoners of our own tradition that we have come from. We believe that our past and how we were brought up is what matters and is always the guide and always the model for us, and we are prisoners to that without faith without seeing beyond what God has done and seeing beyond where you are today. We're prisoners of our past failures. Anybody in this room had any failures? Just me, okay. Without faith, we're prisoners of our past failures. Without faith, we're prisoners even of our past successes. If those successes have defined for us what life is always to be, and there's nothing seen beyond that, we become prisoners of that. All of those things can lock us up and rob us of what God is wanting to do fresh in us for 2019 if we don't have faith. Without faith, we are also prisoners of the measure of God that we have known in the past. Let that sink in. Without faith, we are prisoners of the measure of God that we have known in the past, but let us never forget, dear brothers and sisters, and oh, I mean that, let us never forget that God always desires that we go deeper in Him. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey today, 
wherever you are. There is another place, there's another level in God to which you can go because he has called us from glory to glory, from grace to grace, and from revelation to revelation. You have not arrived yet, neither have I. There are other places, there are other heights, there are other depths to which you can go in God. Somebody say hallelujah. Without faith, you cannot possess I reference Hebrews 11.2. Without faith, there is no peace. Without faith, we cannot conquer our past. It's not going to happen just by trying harder. No, it happens because of faith. In fact, without faith, we can forget that our past has no future. I thought that was good. Not only does Paul present Abraham as a model of faith, let me show you what the prophet Isaiah says. He also lets us know that Abraham is our model of faith, the one where we are to look to freeing us from our past. Let's see what Isaiah says. He says, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn or cut out from and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, Isaiah says, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone. And that means I called him when he was alone. Others were not around. Others were not with him. He had no others around. I called him alone and I blessed him and increased him. I want to take advantage of this moment to speak to that person who feels like you are alone. There is nobody there for you. Some of you are in circumstances where you're all you've got. And I also speak to that person this morning from this passage in Isaiah 51. I also speak to that person this morning who feels that your past is just too much. You've brought too much baggage with you this morning. You're carrying too much. Your past is just too much. You feel like you cannot be dug out of the pit in which you find yourself. It might be a pit of addiction. Maybe it's a pit of depression or, or oppression. Maybe you're in the pit of your past mistakes and your past failures. Maybe you find yourself in, the, in a pit called neglect. You feel like you've been neglected. You're in a pit of abuse. Boy, we use that word a lot today, and it certainly applies in many cases. Maybe you're in the pit of abandonment. And people sit across the desk from me in my office and say, I still struggle with feeling like I, have been aban- I was abandoned as a child. I've been abandoned by whatever. So I struggle with that still today because it affects my relationships with people. I feel like at any moment they're going to abandon me and leave me. Maybe you're still caught in the pit of abandonment. Maybe you're caught in the pit of being overwhelmed. Well, dear one, I so want God's voice to ring in your heart this morning and to reach the depth of your soul to hear the word of the Lord just as he spoke of Abraham. He is calling you, and he will bless you, and he will multiply you, and he will increase you because hell has not created the pit that God cannot dig you out of. The Irish poet Thomas More gave us, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. 
If you're the one who feels alone this morning, maybe you're a single mother, single father, recently widowed or maybe been widowed a while or divorced, I just want to encourage you from this word of the Lord to Abraham. God has called you. He will bless you. And he wants to, in this new year, he wants to multiply you and increase you in this year of 2019. And so lift up your eyes and look for the supernatural surprise. Probably come when you least expect it. Probably will come from no effort on your part whatsoever except to have faith. And then all of a sudden, our God, you just told me a while ago that God is able. Do you still mean that? Say it again. If you really mean that, then in this year of supernatural surprise, where God is wanting to elevate our faith, let's stand back and see what the Lord can do. I'm asking you now to go a little deeper with me as we take a closer look at Abraham. Turn to Genesis chapter 12, because I want you to see a couple, as, a couple of aspects of the faith of Abraham. The first thing I want you to see is the refusal of his faith. Say that with me. Now, when we talk about faith, most often we're speaking of that which we accept. We're not talking about that which we refuse. We're talking about that which we accept. We, we accept Christ. We accept his love. We accept his grace. We accept his will for our life. But I... Um, in looking at this, I want to go from the, an opposite angle. I want to go from another position this morning for us to see that there is in our faith, if we're going to have the faith of Abraham, there is a fundamental refusal to our faith. Now, I want you to read, if we're, put up this Genesis chapter 12, put up this uh, verses 1 through 3. Okay, And I want you to read it because I want it to sink in. I want you to read it to me. Start right now. Now... There is a refusal to great faith. If we are to call to life that which was dead, if we are to call into existence those things which are not, if we are going to have faith like Abraham, then from what you just read to me from Genesis chapter 12, there is a refusal at the very heart of true faith. And I'm going to try to quickly get through five of them. You count them for me as I go. It is, it is the refusal faith that says, I refuse to be limited by my background, my contacts, or my culture. I refuse to re be limited by that. Because the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. Now, we may honor, and many of us have the privilege of doing that, some do, some don't, but while you may honor either all or certain aspects of your background or your culture, you must refuse, if you're going to be a person of great faith, you must refuse to be limited by them. 
Now, some of you come from a background of alcoholics, liars, thieves, criminals, adulterers. You come from a background of cheaters and addicts. You come from a background from, of people who break every promise. But when you come to Christ, God calls you to come out of that place and refuse to succumb to that background and to that culture. There is a refusal to great faith. That's the first one. I refuse to be limited to only that which I have seen. Selah. I refuse to be limited. Well, I know how it goes. I've lived a lot of life. I've seen that before. If you only are going to base your faith on what you have seen in the past and what you have known, you are choosing to not be a person of great faith. Because great faith demands, I refuse to be limited to only that which I have seen. For the Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes to a place that I will show you. And church, allow it to rise up within you this morning. I refuse to be limited to only the measure of God that I have seen before. I refuse to be limited to what I see in my life today. Because I'm going to be a person of great faith, I refuse to be limited in what I see in my children today. I refuse to be limited to what I see in my marriage today or what I see in my circumstances today. He said, lift up your eyes, I will show you. There's a refusal to great faith. I refuse to be limited to what my name or my identity has been. I would like to hear just a little hallelujah with that. I refuse to be limited to what my name or my identity has been. For the Lord said to Abram, I will make your name great. This is not about becoming great in the eyes of the world. It's not about having the most likes on Facebook or becoming a YouTube sensation. This is about recognizing that your name, your identity is in Christ Jesus the Lord. For the Lord says, I'm the one who has plans for your life. And he who is approved by Christ has nothing to prove. He who is approved by Christ has nothing to prove. Those of you who know me know that I'm going to say it this way. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who has nothing left to prove because they have recognized that their identity is now in Christ and they are not limited by what their identity has been in the past. There is a refusal to great faith. I refuse to be limited by my enemies. Mm -mm, ain't going to happen. I refuse to be limited by my enemies. Now we know who the enemy is, but what is your enemy? Well, your addiction, whatever it is, that's your enemy. The destructive pattern in your life, that's your enemy. That wound in your spirit is your enemy. But I refuse to be limited by my enemies. For the Lord says, 
to Abram. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. You know what he's saying? You know what's really being communicated right there? That is Old Testament language for God to say to you and to me this morning, your battles have become my battles. Your enemies have become my enemies. Walk with me. I will fight your battles until every enemy has fallen right before you. I refuse to be limited by my enemies. How many was that? I refuse to be limited to my father's house. Hmm. I refuse to be limited to my father's house. Come out of your father's house to the place that I will show you. Now, to fully understand this, I'm going to have to have you look at the last verse of the previous chapter, which is chapter 11, Genesis, and verse 31. And it reads like this. Now, uh, this can be confusing because one name is given to both a city and to a person. It's Haran. So don't get confused with those two things. And Terah took his son Abram. Tells us that Abraham's father was Terah. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, who was the son of Haran. Haran must be the brother to Abram. Got it? And he took his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son Abram's wife. We know that. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran, the city, and dwelt there. I have the privilege of, I've got some great software programs that show me all of these, uh, the geography of that day and time, any day and time, basically. And I see that Ur of the Chaldeans is over toward the east, and they had to go northwest. They're heading up like this, up northwest, to ultimately end up, the plan is to get to Canaan. But they stopped in this town called Haran. So we see that Abraham's father was Terah, but we know something about Terah from Joshua 24. We know not a lot, but we know a little bit about Abraham's father, because he was a man who served other gods. Joshua 24 tells us that. And the call came to get out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, which for them was a land of security. It was what was known, what was safe. But they were being called to the land of Canaan, which speaks for every one of us, the land of promise, the fullness of our destiny, the abundant life that God has prepared for us and called us to. But that journey from Ur of the Chaldeans, northwest up toward, kind of going up in a big arc, headed toward Canaan, stopped at Haran. It was long and hard, and it was surrounded by enemies. And though we don't know the reason, they stopped at Haran. Now in the Hebrew, understand this, Haran, H-A-R-A-N, speaks of the dried up mountain, the parched land. Or more specifically, and I found this fascinating when I discovered this, Haran, this place where they stopped, dried up mountain parched land, it's also called the place of small fruit. The place of small fruit. Now they're called to Canaan, the place of abundance. They're called to Canaan, the place of promise. But they stopped in a place of small fruit. 
I don't really believe they meant to stay in Haran and be content with small fruit in their life. I don't believe that. Never reaching the land of promise. But I believe that the devil is more insidious and conniving than that. Because in my many years of ministry, I have watched person after person come to a place of stopping and being content in the place of small fruit in their spiritual life. But the voice of God rings to Abraham just as it rings to you and to me, calling us to a holy refusal. Come out of your father's house. Come out of the place of small fruit. I want to bring you into my abundance. And Abraham determined he was not going to die in the place of small fruit. Now you know that place. Small love, small life. Small commitment, small conquest and crowns. Small inspiration and investment, small impact. Small risk, small reward. Small aspirations, small accomplishments. Small sacrifices, small spiritual successes. Small brokenness, small breakthroughs. Small generosity, small glory to God. Small dreams, small destinies, small repentance, small resurrection and restoration. Small transformation, small testimony. Small in sanctification, small in the supernatural. Small in forgiveness, small fire. Small favor, small face. I pray something rises up within every one of us here that are sitting under the sound of my voice. I refuse to die in the place of small fruit. I'm coming out of my father's house. Abraham came out of the place of small fruit and he's walking step by step. And he's building altars and he's singing, I trust you over and over and over, just like the choir. He's become a blessed man. He's now a man of influence. He has an army. He has power. He was the protector and benefactor to his nephew Lot, allowing Lot to grow and be blessed. With both Abraham and Lot prospering, they're walking together on their way to the promised land. Genesis 13, you know the story. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had become very wealthy, a lot wealthy as well, with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all of their flocks and herds living so close together. So guess what happened? Disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. Can I tell you this is a prophetic picture? It's a picture of the modern-day church with leaders warring against one another. You have the picture of Lot's shepherds and Abraham's shepherds. And in this picture, you have leaders warring against one another inside the church while they are surrounded by enemies on the outside. Church, our fight is not supposed to be against one another. Our fight is to be against sin and darkness, against the devil and the captivities of hell. Our fight is to be against injustice and famine in the land. Our fight is to be together against darkness, one light together in the city. Can I get an amen to that today? And now we come to the moment. Here's the moment. Abraham 
has taught us that there is a refusal to great faith. And now he's about to show us what it is to have the release of great faith, the release of his faith. Genesis 13, 8. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Now please understand the context. Look, up, look right up here. Please understand the context. In that culture, there was to be full respect and honor for the elder. Staff members are supposed to be respect for the elders. Remember that, okay? In that culture, full respect and honor for the elder to the point that this conversation should never have happened. Shouldn't have happened. What should have happened is Lot should have stepped back and said, Abraham, take whatever you want. You, you take the land. You, you get to choose. I'm showing honor and respect. You get to choose. And yet what we see here is how conscious Abraham is of the power of impartation. Say that word. He is saying, Lot, how you and I behave and treat each other will have direct impact on your herdsmen and on my herdsmen. The way you and I deal with this is going to have direct impact on them. There is power in impartation. Let me just say to every married couple, how you deal with strife and conflict in your home, whether you are forgiving or unforgiving, will have great impartation and influence on everyone you touch, including your children. How many of you know you're very contagious? There's power in impartation. There's power in that. You may not think you're having an effect on anyone, but you are imparting. And on a simple human level, Abraham is the man with the power. He's the man with the influence. He's the father with the army. He could easily have just wiped out Lot with the back of his hand. And you can almost hear in the text Abram's herdsman coming to Abraham and saying, what are you doing? Well, what, are you, what are you saying? How dare he, after all you have done for him, don't let him step all over you like this. You're going to lose face over this. But I can tell you this, Abraham was not so concerned about losing face on a human level. He was far more concerned about losing the face of God over his life. Far too many of us have stood at the moment where to save face with others We've lost the face of God. Let there be no strife among us because there's something higher. There's something better. There's a bigger picture here. Let there be no strife among us because we have a testimony to give. We must keep the anointing of God on our life. We have a name to give to the nations and it's the only name that will change the world. Let there be no strife among us for we are brothers. And Abraham is showing us how to release our faith. And he is showing us that there is an increase in the release of our faith. Are you still with me this morning? And you know the rest of the story. Abraham says to Lot, let there be no strife among us. Take the land that you want. Lot takes the land that looks good to him. It's fertile land. It's lush and green. The Bible calls it like the garden of the Lord. It looks like the land where he'll have even more prosperity. And Abraham turns to that which is left for him. It's dry, it's barren, and it looks 
uh, on a human level like he's lost, like he got the short end of the stick. But listen to what God says in that moment, Genesis 13. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, north, south, east, and west, for all the land which you see I give you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and he built an altar there to the Lord. Because of the release of his faith, there was increase in God for him. Great faith refuses. Great faith releases. Releases what? It releases hurts. Great faith releases offenses, failures, what we perceive as injustices. Great faith releases abuses, disappointments. Great faith releases questions that, without answers. Great faith releases betrayal. And when we then come to the point of saying, let there be no strife among us, for we are brothers, as we release, the voice of God says to us that everything will then increase. That's what God does. Increase like what? Clarity of your vision will increase. Lift up your eyes from the place you have been. Why? Because bitterness and unforgiveness makes us blind. Bitterness and unforgiveness makes us blind. It blinds us to the good things that God is doing. It blinds us to the qualities of the people around us. It blinds us to our own wrongs and mistakes. We can't see them. It blinds us to the destructive patterns in our own lives that ruin relationships. Some of us are just by nature relationship ruiners. We have a special gift. Bitterness and unforgiveness blinds us to new life-giving relationships that God wants to give us because now we've become cold and hardened and crusty and untrusting. It is the release that opens our eyes to see with clarity. And the blessing shall be upon you and your family and your descendants from generation to generation. What else increases? Your communication increases because bitterness and unforgiveness poisons, diminishes, and even eradicates our power to communicate faith to our children and our grandchildren. It will mess that up completely. What will kill your capacity to communicate faith to your children is when you are doing it with any measure of bitterness in your heart. Children that grew up in Christian homes where the songs were sung and the great declarations of faith were repeated, but bitterness was in the hearts of the parents, strife, criticism, attacking each other, attacking the church, and that does one thing and one thing only, it causes your children to become hardened to the gospel. Preach it, Dan. They may not like it, but tell them the truth. Parents and grandparents... You want to have a flow of communication to, of your faith to your children and grandchildren? Then we should be asking God every day to release bitterness from our hearts and anything in us that is not pleasing to him. Put a guard at my lips, O oh Lord, so that when I speak of you, when I speak of your people, when I speak of your house, when I speak of your servants, I lift up the name of Christ. The release of your faith will increase clarity. It will increase communication. 
it will increase our capacity for compassion and conquest. Move with me to chapter 14 as I close with this, Pastor Brent. Stay with me here. Abraham has released his nephew, Lot, whom he calls his brother. And they're walking each their own way now. Abraham headed toward Canaan, and Lot pinched. He went close to Sodom and Gomorrah. And in that day, like today, there were bands of terrorists who would go around killing and kidnapping people. From ISIS to Boko Haram, nothing's new. We have that still today. So we read in verse 12 that Lot was kidnapped by terrorists. The next verse says that one who escaped, somebody who escaped from the terrorists, came and told Abraham that his nephew had been kidnapped and all of his goods stolen. So look closely with me at verse 14. In fact, read this with me. Genesis 14, 14. Read it aloud right now. Now. Stop right there. Stop right there. What would you have done? What would you have said? Him? After all he's done to me? I hate to say I told you so, but you wanted Sodom? Sodom you got. I'm not going to put myself in danger. As soon as Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been taken captive, he armed 318 of his best soldiers and went after Lot to free the very one who had offended him, free him from his captors. And don't miss looking at this from the perspective of impartation. How easy, those of you who've ever been in any position of leadership, how easy do you think it was to convince 318 of his servants who had been witness to how Lot had taken advantage of his uncle, how easy do you think it was to convince them to go put their lives on the line for Lot? Do you think if Abram, Abraham had been communicating all along his bitterness against Lot all this time, that he would have convinced his soldiers to risk their lives? Someone who has become bittered is, as the Bible says, like behind the bars of a dungeon. You become self-centered and can only see what's been done to you. If you've allowed yourself to become bitter, you can only see what's been done to you. You lose your sensitivity to others and become capable, fully capable of walking right by all the needs that are around you. And you can't see it. You walk right past the ways God wants to use you and can't see it because you can't see anything but your own need. If Abraham had been carrying the slightest root of bitterness, he would not have been able to say, as we see in Scripture, What? Lot has been captured? I am called to free him. Let's go, guys, now. 318 of you. We're going to go save my nephew, who he called his brother Lot. And when he brought him back, Abraham was announcing to the world, what the Lord had said had happened, and that is his name would be made great. For the Lord said, I will make your name great, and you will be a people who are distinguished by your love, even in cities of hatred. Great faith refuses, and great faith releases. Bow your heads with me in prayer.
as we move into this year, Lord, we need you like never before. I pray somehow you've taken our words this morning and Holy Spirit, you've riveted them to our hearts. Don't let one of us walk out of this room today settled and content with the status quo. Let us see that you are taking us to new heights. Let us see that you have something else in mind for us. Let, us, let there be that component of refusal. To, we refuse to be limited by those things that are holding us back. And Lord, I pray especially that there will come that sense of release that you will help us for the sake of having great faith in you and trusting you as the choir sang so wonderfully this morning. We're going to trust in you. Let us have that sense of release that we let go of offenses, all of the things that stand in the way, anything that keeps us from being in right relationship with you because without faith, it is impossible to please you. And above all, we want to please you. So I pray for Bethesda today that your word will go deep in our hearts and we will receive it. I pray it in Jesus' name. And the church said...